0: Well, good morning again. Good morning to you on Facebook. Good morning to you that come to the website. Good morning to you who hears this any way that you're going to hear it. So anyway, we're in Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 36. There's going to be another faith test. This time, Jesus is going to walk on water, and then Peter's going to walk on water, and then Peter's going to take his eyes off Jesus. And what happens to Peter when he takes his eyes Boom, that's right. So in the opposition of life, in the challenges of life, we have one faith test after another. And folks, keep your eyes riveted on Jesus. That's what this is going to be all about today. Now, before we get started, I would like you to take 15 seconds to have a period of silence and to ask God to speak to you that you will be able to receive what he has for you specifically today. He is speaking to you and he's speaking to your heart, something he wants you to know. So just take just a second. Oh father, we thank you that you have sent your spirit to illuminate the word to our hearts. And may we be ready to receive today what you have for us. Your word does not return void and you are speaking. May we have ears to hear what you are saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we read the word of God together. Matthew 14, 22 through 36. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. But when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and where the men of that place recognized him, they sent him to all the surrounding regions and brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. This is the word of God. Father, again, thank you for your word. Open our eyes to it today. Holy Spirit, teach us things you'd like us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The faith test, the faith test, life is full of faith test. Last time we talked, last week, there was the five loaves and the two fishes. It was a faith test. What was Jesus going to do with this miracle in the wilderness? Remember, the feeding of the 5,000 was really feeding of the 20,000. And there was a lot of things that were learned here. 20,000 people experienced this incredible miracle. 20,000 people were a witness to what Jesus did and then would disseminate this to the world around them. 20,000 people would never be the same. 20,000 people were graced by God, by, were graced by God. And I want you to think about the grace of God. Now, there's going to be a picture that comes up here on the screen, and it's the oh, it's a sea, and it's, I like the picture, this is Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is lapping up, and we go to Maranatha every summer, and those sle- those. Waves just lap up on the sea over and over and over. And just think about how God graces you over and over. You don't even realize how much He's gracing you. In John chapter 1, verse 16, And of His fullness we have received grace for grace, grace for grace, grace for grace. He washes it over us in a continuum. In multiplying the loaves and the fishes, folks, this was a grace miracle. The only miracle recorded in the four Gospels. And folks, it was a wow miracle. I think this impacted the disciples like you cannot believe. Remember the complexity of feeding 20,000 people. He broke them down into groups of 50 and 100. And then the disciples had to carry the loaves and the fishes, to 12 guys, to 20,000 people. I mean, that's a a little work there, isn't it? That's a little work. And of course, they got all concerned because... uh, They were worried that they weren't going to have enough food. And look at the abundance. They had 12 basketfuls that were left over. Now, this miracle is a big deal. We look at it as a big deal. The disciples look at it as a big deal. But I emphasized something last week. Jesus is the creator. In John 1, 3, through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Through Jesus Christ, the whole creation was made. The macro creation, the micro creation, everything down to the smallest cell, to the expanse of the universe. He holds it all together. And in Colossians 1.16, by him, all things consist or stand together. It's all firmly controlled. Remember all those planets and the rapidity and the hundreds of thousands of miles per hour, things are moving in space. Yet Jesus holds it all in order. This was nothing for Jesus. Big to us, nothing for him. Now you have a God, of course, that can enter into your situation where you think it's big for you, but it's nothing for him. And we want to have faith to believe that he can enter into our situation. Remember, God loves you. You are part of his family. Isaiah 49, 16 says this. Now watch the the little hand here in the middle, how precious that is. You're speaking about life and that sort of thing. How precious this is. I will not forget you. I have written your name on the palms of my hands. When you feel forgotten by the world, when you feel forgotten by your mom and your dad and your friends or your group or whatever you in, you have a God that has imprinted you your name on his, on his palms of his hand. This is intimacy folks, intimacy to, to the highest degree. You are a child of God. You are the bride of Christ. You are very, very significant to God, loved by him. He sent you the comforter. Remember, Jesus said in John 14, if he goes, he will send another. That word is alos, another just like himself, the spirit of God to be your comforter, Remember, he's your parakleto. He's the one that's alongside of you. And what does that mean to you? When you're going through these obstacles in life, when you're going through these trials in life, when you're going through the miseries of life, you have God right with you as your comforter. He is with you always. The God of hope, the God of encouragement, the God of comfort. Now, these guys were uncomfortable being with Jesus, uncomfortable with how are we going to feed the masses? Had to be uncomfortable as they're in this boat rowing out into the water. And we're for hours rowing and rowing and rowing. But make no mistake, we serve a God that can meet all of our needs. In Philippians chapter 419, and my God shall supply some of your needs. Thank you. All of your needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You guys are good. Way to be. Way to be alert. Calvary Chapel. Yes, I have no fear of that. Now, one of the things that, that we're going to see here is that the people love this miracle so much being fed with the bread and the fishes, they wanted to make Jesus king. We didn't see it in our text last week, but in John 6:15, the companion text, it says this, Jesus perceived that they were about to make come and to take him by force to make him king. They were going to Forced Jesus to be king. So Jesus tells these disciples immediately he got them into the boat. He doesn't want his disciples to get into this king thing too quick. It's not time for him to be a king. It's time for him to be the savior. So we enter our teaching today in the faith test. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And there's preparation. There's preparation for the test. So verse 22 through 24. And again, immediately, immediately. He gets This is an order by Jesus. This is a command. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, remember, they wanted to make Jesus the king. But the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus as the king. Matthew chapter 12 was a seminal moment in the teachings of Jesus when they blasphemed the Holy Spirit and tried to ascribe to Jesus casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And that was the final straw. That was the final rejection. There is a point when a nation can reject, when a person can reject. Now, that's way down the road. I mean, that is when you've exhausted the patience of God, you've exhausted everything possible for your salvation. But there is a time when judicial hardening comes in and the nation has been judicially hardened. And now the kingdom has been postponed, has been put off. And what we'll see happen here is that there will be a tribulation period that they're going to have to go through the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years. And that's going to be an awful time. And finally, they will believe. Remember, they have to do two things. Plead for Messiah to return and then, and then admit their national sin of, resi- of rejecting Messiah. They have to do this. They will do this after seven years, almost to the very end. And then they'll finally recognize as the troops are coming down, Antichrist armies are coming down onto Petra or Basra in their hiding place. And they know they're going to die. And then they'll cry out the Messiah and then he will come and rescue them. That's how it works. There's urgency here. This is a command to get into the boat. Now, this boat is not a yacht. This boat is not a luxury cruise. This boat is a fishing boat. And we have a couple pictures here. This is an artist's depiction of this. The fishing boat is here. Notice how it's cram packed. This is designed for really about two or three people. And this is a modern day version of that boat. And this is, this is, again, two or three people, not jam-packed. So this thing is overloaded, overloaded. Just to give you a picture of the size of the boat, and it's difficult. There's going to be difficulty with this, with this mission that they're on. And I think that they were going from Bethsaida. They ended up in Bethsaida. They went from Bethsaida to Gennesaret, But I don't think that was the destination originally. I think they were just going to go back to Capernaum. I think they were shooting for Capernaum. Now, if you remember this picture from the last time, the Sea of Galilee, seven miles across, they went from Capernaum. The multitudes followed them. This is about six miles. He's here. They feed the 5,000 in this area, or 20,000. And now he's going to go. They want to make him king. He's going to send them back home. But instead, the winds are contrary. And they're blown into the middle of the sea, the middle of the sea. And they end up, In this area. So that's the picture of what's actually going on here. So when you think about contrary winds, when you think of things blowing you off course, they were blown off course. Remember, God has a plan. He is sovereign. He knows exactly what's going on. They're in a test. They're in a test right now. So the contrary winds of life have a a tendency to take you off course. Now, I don't know how many of you ended up doing exactly what you thought you were going to do when you graduated in the 12th grade, and you walked across that stage, got your diploma, or you stood before the group, and you said, I'm going to be an architect, and I'm going to be a lawyer, and I'm going to be an astronaut. And, I, and in ten, five years later, you go to the reunion, and none of that has happened for 99% of those people. Their course changed. Their course changed. Change, of course. Be ready to change your plans. God has a plan that might be quite different than your plan. Quite different. The wind was a test. The winds of life may be a test. Now, Jesus has his disciples in the test. And what is Jesus doing? He's on the mountainside praying to Father. And I can just see Jesus praying to his Father. He gets alone with father often to have time of peace and tranquility and quiet. But I think Jesus knows about this test and might he be praying for these guys that they would pass the test. See, They they didn't do so well with the feeding of the 5,000 and now they're walking. They're going to have the Peter walk on water moment. They're in a storm and they're rowing away. So we learn some things here and the stress of life. Jesus teaches us to get alone with God, and I hope that you have your place where you meet with God on a regular basis. You and God meeting in your meeting room or meeting place. Now look, we can say Nehemiah prayers, little Nehemiah prayers all day long, wherever you are, you want to do that. Little short prayers to connect you with God in whatever situation you're in, but it is incumbent upon us as believers in the Lord Jesus that we have a quiet time with him and that we have a place that we meet with him on a regular basis to talk with him, to help us through this thing called our life, this journey of life. Look, we're not equipped. We are not equipped to carry the burdens of this life. We are not equipped, as you have heard like 5,000 5, people, 5,000 times I've said this. That's a hyperbole, but anyway. That we, have, we are the most overwhelmed with information, society that's ever existed on the planet of the earth. We are not equipped for this. We are not equipped for the burdens of life. So what did Jesus tell us in Matthew eleven twenty eight? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened with life, and I will give you rest. How does that rest come? We're yoked to him. He helps us with our load. He carries the load. He lightens the load for us. The boat was a test. The boat was in the middle of the sea. And I think Jesus is praying for these guys to pass the test. In, Matthew, in Mark 6, 48, it says this, Jesus sees them rowing and struggling. What that tells me is they didn't make it very far. And remember, this, it's the mid-watch. It's the mid-watch. These guys have been rowing for 8 to 12 hours. It was dusk when he shoves them off. It's the mid-watch, 3 to 6 a.m., and these guys are still rowing, and that's after feeding the 5,000, after they were already tired, after they already didn't want to deal with the 5,000 guys there and their kids and that sort of thing. And now they're in this boat rowing. You talk about exhaustion. These guys are at the peak of exhaustion. So, we learn some things here. In the future, these disciples are going to face opposition. These disciples are going to face times of extreme difficulty. They're going to face kings. They're going to face people. They're going to face prison. They're going to face all kinds of obstacles. They have to be prepared. In life, God sends different storms. You know that. Why? Because you've lived here. This isn't fairy tale land. This isn't make-believe. We know that stuff happens in people's lives. And it's difficult and it's hard. There are storms of correction. There really are. There are storms of correction when God disciplines us to get us back on course. And then there are storms of perfection to conform us to the likeness of Christ, to test our faith, to grow our faith so that we're different. Folks, you were saved to be different. We are not saved to be the same. We are babies in a process of being conformed and maturing to the likeness of Christ. That takes work. That takes test. That takes trials. That's what comes on us. So, what are we to learn from this? When we go through the test, when you've had your wilderness experience, when you've had your stress time, you come out of it with this attitude. The, a faith attitude. You develop a I walk by faith and not by sight attitude. The righteous will live by faith. You know what faith is? Faith has an object. That object is God. It's not faith in faith. I'm not having faith to believe in faith that something's going to. My faith is in God who can enter any situation and change it. That's what my faith is in. Now, remember this about faith. Faith drives away fear remember fear is a byproduct of living in a fallen world fear is a byproduct the first fear came in right in genesis chapter 3 when adam and eve saw G- saw god calling them and they said they were afraid they that's the first fear that came in. fear wasn't supposed to be part of our genome that's all from the fall that's all from the fall Secondly, fear makes you forget that your strength source is God. It focuses on the object of your fear and takes you off of God. When the opposition comes, folks, may it be a faith, not fear. Faith, not fear. Remember, in James chapter one, he says, "Count it all joy, my brother, when you fall into all kinds of trials." Why? Why? The trials aren't fun. The test isn't fun. The test is difficult. The trials are hard. I would like to skip the trials. But without the trials, you're not going to mature. Because your testing of your faith produces, makes you perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That's the goal. Maturity. We will not mature here on Cupcake Mountain with the cherry on top. We can't live here. This is where most Christians want to live. At the top. And it's great and wonderful and terrific. But it's really in the daily that we live in. Sometimes there's valleys. But it's the daily. The daily, that's so tough. The storm is in full swing. The disciples are rowing. But you know what? You don't see one disciple in that boat, in that problem situation, crying out to God and praying, oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. You know what they've done? They've forgotten all about Jesus, and their eyes are riveted on the problem. Forgot all about Jesus. And remember this, the disciples are still in Jesus' school. They're still learning. And guess who else is in Jesus' school? We are. We are all in Jesus' school. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, 25 through 27, the faith test. The disciples forget, but Jesus won't forget them. He'll remember. So 25 through 27. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, that's 3 to 6 a.m., they've been rowing a long time, Jesus went to them. Now, notice he didn't rescue them from the test. So oftentimes we want to rescue people prematurely prematurely be careful don't jump in too quickly in the night jesus went to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it's a ghost and they cried out in fear but immediately jesus spoke to him isn't jesus so great be of good cheer be of good have courage it is I. Do not be afraid. Now let those words just echo in your mind. Do not be afraid. Remember, these are seasoned fishermen. It doesn't say that they were afraid of the storm. They might have been exhausted and rowing. This isn't like Matthew 8 where it was a a horrendous hurricane-type storm and they were going down and Jesus is sleeping on the back of the boat and he gets up and says, you know, why are you guys bugging me? You of little faith. And then he calms the storm. And these guys are absolutely stunned by that one. The storms come and the storms go. Jesus is in your boat. After struggling for hours, they're in the middle of the sea, blown off course. And they see this figure approaching them. They cannot make it out. Remember that storm. If You've been on the sea. This storm is you you see, you don't see. You see, you don't see. I mean, you're being tossed all over the place. And this is what happens. It's an artist's rendition of Jesus just coming to these guys. And it must have been a stunning moment. They have never seen this. Now, they've seen the blind see, the lame walk, the demons are cast out. They've seen feeding of 5,000. They haven't seen this one. Somebody coming to them on the water in the midst of this tumult. This is a stunning moment. For the disciples, they were troubled. Tarasso was the word. To steer, to stir, to agitate. They were uncomfortable. But notice how the mind progresses from troubled to outright fear. It's a ghost and they cried out in fear. That is phobos. Where we get a word phobia. Fear, dread, absolute terror. In the crud of life, folks. In the crud of life, the horrendos of life. Now, horrendos is not a word. It's my word for you. The horrendos of life. <laughs> Make God your first go to place. May that be the one that you go to immediately. Oftentimes, we hear people say, you know where I'm going to go with this. Oh, no. I guess we need to pray. There's no hope in this. Let's pray. No, that's our go-to place. It's not the last resort. It's our first thing. Our sufficiency is not in ourselves, it is in our God. John 15, 5 is so clear in this. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You want to have Jesus involved in every aspect of your life. The disciples must learn that our first option is the God option. And Jesus responds, he comes to the rescue, Jesus to the rescue, listen to his words of encouragement, be of good cheer, it is I, and then he gives a command, this is an imperative, do not be afraid. Now how many times do we hear that in scripture? Do not be afraid. We have to let this sink in. Do not be afraid as a command, an imperative, I am is with you. The I am, the one who created the water, the one who created these guys, he's right with them at this time. Don't be afraid. Now, I want to go through this over and over again. Fear must not be a dominant characteristic of a Christian. Again, all of us will experience some sort of fear and worry and trepidation and that sort of thing because of the fall, because we're not perfected yet. Those things will enter into us, but we must not live there. Must not live there. Fear and worry are not attributes that are appealing to God. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Nor to the world that we live in. It's not not a great attribute to the world that we live in. And again, fear is where Satan would like you to live as a believer. Constant fear, constant not trusting, Remember, it's fear or faith you choose. The two cannot coexist. Your brain, as much as you think you're a multitasker, all you're doing is just going from one spot to another really quick in your brain. You can only think of one thing and another. So either you're going to focus on eyes on Jesus, or it's going to be eyes on the fear. And I have a picture here. Fear and faith cannot coexist. I put this here. Because I want this to be indelibly imprinted into our brains. Fear and faith cannot coexist. When I go into my fear state, I go to my place to meet with my God and I focus on him. I am volitionally taking captive that thought, making it obedient to Christ. He's telling me, do not fear. And I'm going to focus on him in this situation. That is important. Now, think about these things. Fear makes one forget the promises and the presence of God. Fear not, brethren. Faith holds on to God's promises. Faith practices the presence of God. You go to your place. You focus on God. Faith practices the presence of God. That is a very important concept. And if you hold on to faith, if you do, if you practice the presence of God, the trickle of fear will dry up. It will dry up. Take it from a fear-based person. Take it from a worry person. You know, when you're, you've heard this multiple times, but for you, who, you few who haven't heard it, when you're raised in a home where everything is fear-based and worry, you can end up making up things to worry about and live in this constant uncomfortableness that is not where God wants us. I want to practice the presence of God. And if I practice the presence of God, the fear will trickle away. 28 through 32 in the faith test, folks, please, if you remember anything, all eyes on Jesus, all eyes on Jesus. 28 through 32. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, that's a first class if, so that should be since it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now I'm just picturing the boat. I'm just picturing the disciples in the boat, aghast at what Peter wants to do. I mean, just taking a, don't go Peter, don't, don't, are you crazy Peter? Don't, you know, I, There has to be some feelings that are going on in that boat. I'm just thinking this might have been the way it was. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. That terror got hold of him. Beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. At least he had enough sense to cry out. You got to give Peter credit for that. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt And when they came into the boat, the wind ceased. Another miracle. So, the impetuous Peter, the Peter of the great mouth, the Peter of the great... The type A-A-A-A-A Peter. Says, Lord, I want to come to you. And he says, come. And he walks off and he walks toward Jesus. And I don't know how far he walked. I don't know if it was one step, two steps. I mean... I don't care how many steps he took. If he's walking on water, that's still a miracle. That still counts. Let's say he walked 50 yards and then all of a sudden he sees the problems around him. Now this next little artist rendition here says it perfectly. He takes his eyes off of Jesus in the test. And what does he do? He sinks. But Peter is a man of wisdom in spite of his impetuousness, and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And I think Jesus grabbed him. Now, G- Jesus has got to be really strong. I mean, he's soaking wet, and he's going down. Peter's probably not a, a little guy. and He grabs onto him and pulls him up out of the water. And then, he, I don't know how he got into the boat, but he probably took Peter and went, thump, into the boat. <laughs> Peter, what an example. It would be nice to meet him, wouldn't it? We're actually going to meet him one day. Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist, and gosh, it's going to be a great thing. Jesus, of course, is the center of heaven. It's not your grandma. It's not your grandpa. It's not who's ever gone there before. Jesus is the center of heaven. Everything after that. Now, fear overcame his faith, and he began to sink. Sound familiar? Everybody, I think, has been there to some extent. Sink. What did we sink into? Despair. Now, are the, How are those emotions to you? Those are uncomfortable emotions to me: despair, discouragement, disp- depression, disillusioned, fears. Destiny is this, folks: you drown in your worry. You drown in your worry. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter six at four times: "Do not worry." Commands: Do not worry. Do not worry. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? Then he ends it up in six thirty-four, saying. Do not worry about tomorrow. How many of us project into the future? We're projecting into this election. Oh no, if this person gets elected, it's the end of the world. Folks, God is sovereign. God is in control. Even if Governor Whitmer wins this, (laughs) God is in control. And we continue to pray for her salvation, that her eyes will be opened And she'll become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we pray for. Same thing with Biden. Same thing with all of them. Pray. Keep praying. Don't stop. Now, contrast this despair and discouragement with faith. Faith brings forth fortitude. You move forward, fully satisfied, living with peace in the midst of the changes. That's the key. Remember, Jesus said, we have this peace that is available to us. These words I've spoken to you, in the world you will have tribulation, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You can have peace because he's overcome the world. Faith has fantastic finishes. You can burst through the finish line. And folks, it's faith, not fear. We're saying this again. We repeat, we inculcate, teach by repetition, faith, not fear. That's the big thing. Jesus says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Would you like Jesus to say that to you? I'd be feeling kind of like, Oh, Oh Lord. Why did I doubt? Hmm. Why did I doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. The test was over. Remember, this is Jesus school. We're all in Jesus school. Now, some things to think about here while here, We all are in Jesus' school. And what are we being prepared for? Another kingdom. We're not being prepared for for this existence here. Remember, we're aliens and strangers here. We have a mission here. We have responsibility while we're here. But we're not being prepared for here. We're being prepared for a different kingdom. We're going to reign as kings and priests. Remember, life here in Jesus' school is all about you changing. Old me to new me. And folks, when you change, your worldview changes. The things that you value change. The stuff you hold on to here so tenaciously changes. Our view changes. Our values change. Everything changes. In Jesus' school, we learn to trust him no matter what and to change. I don't care what something looks like, sounds like, smells like. When you graduate from Jesus' school and the horrendos come at you, You have an attitude that I will do what I will trust in the Lord until I die. That is our mission. I'm going to trust him. It might not look good, might not sound good, might not feel good, but I'm going to trust my Lord until I pass off the scene. All eyes on Jesus, the author and finishes of our faith. Calling all disciples, folks, guard your eyes where you glue them on Jesus. Have eyes on Jesus to for faith and do not look at your fear. And I have another overhead here just to kind of print this into our minds. Don't let the obstacles, which are constant, as God graces us over and over, we do face multitudes of obstacles in our life. Don't let the obstacles in front of you take your eyes off of Jesus. It is easy to become discouraged. And remember. The discouraged source, discouragement has a source, and that is in the enemy. The demonic realm wants you deceived, wants you discouraged, wants you out of the way. So don't become discouraged. Don't become overwrought with what you see around you. In verse 33, finally they have faith to see and they worship him. And those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. That is a seminal moment. In a human's life, when it penetrates you and you say, surely He is the Son of God. He is Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. A seminal moment. John adds something interesting to this. In John six twenty one. they received Him into the boat. It says they willingly received Him into the boat. You bet. Willingly? I mean, please come in, Jesus, please. They were in the boat and immediately, listen to this, the boat was at the land where they were going. Now, look, I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it turned into a speedboat and their hair is all back in the land or if it's just some transport, Star Trek thing where beep, you're transported there. But whatever happens there, these guys are stunned. And what happens? Worship breaks out on the boat. <gasps> oh, thank you. Praise you. You know, that whole thing just breaks out on the boat. And folks, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When worship breaks out in your heart and you know that Jesus washed your sins away. Oh, happy day. Amen. That's right. Verse 34 and 36. Changed by faith in Jesus. Now, these disciples, remember, they have had a horrendous, a horrendous day. (laughs) They have fed the 20,000 people. They have been in the storm rowing for hours and hours, not making any progress. They've had the emotional drainage of seeing this figure come at them and being an abject terror on the sea. And now it's morning and they're still there and they come up and there's going to be more ministry to do. Watch this. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And and when the men of that place recognized him, They went out into all the surrounding regions and brought to him all who were sick. Now, the old disciples would be saying, hey, don't go now. Don't go now. We're tired. The new disciples, they're going to be all in on this. And begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Again, a long night. And what greets the exhausted group on the shore? More people and more ministry. And it just keeps coming in waves. As we have been graced, there are other things that come at us in waves. I believe the disciples' attitude has changed. They have learned from this test. And you can just write a note in your Bible, just yay, yay, Yay. they have finally learned. Great day. It is a great day when we learn in a test, a great day. Now, in the test, we learn to join God where he is at work. God is orchestrating your life. You don't know where you're going to land. You started here, and you don't know where you're going to end up, but there's different stops along the way. Join God where God is at work. That is the point. Secondly, in the test, we learn that it's that it's all, it's all about him. It's his timing, his orchestration, his preparation, his will be done. Not my will be done, his will be done. See, a lot of people in the church think that they control Jesus and they control God. and No, God controls us. We bow to him. We ask him. The sick were brought to Jesus and they touched the fringe of the, the Talites, the little dangling things on, on, on his on his gown, on his robe. Now where do they learn this? The woman of blood came from that area, and she must have disseminated that information. Now they know if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. They're reaching the reaching out to Jesus. This is going to end Jesus's Galilean ministry. This section right here ends his Galilean ministry. He's preparing his disciples. He's equipping them to go forward, but he still has time to heal. Some closing thoughts. Now remember, today, I believe that Jesus heals folks. I believe that God still heals. He can enter into any situation. These are called miracles. Miracles don't happen often, but they can happen. And they do happen. But most people look at Jesus as a healer and not as their savior. As what they can get out of him, not what they can do for him. Most view Jesus as a give me Jesus. Give me what I want. And by the way, Jesus, give it to me now. I want it right now. He's kind of a genie, a genie of sorts. But it may take some time, but I hope that we're getting it in the test of life. It's less about me and more about him. And my God will be with me through everything I go go through. I want you to think about something. If you think about Jesus and these miracles and you realize that he is God, that he is with you, that you dwell in him and he dwells in you, and the spirit of God is in you. I think the whole triunity of God dwells within the humanity. How are we to treat God? How are we to treat Jesus? The reason I bring this up is because the culture is so casual with with God. So casual. So casual with Jesus. They lose who he really is. We are to glorify him. We are to honor him. Revere him. Bow down to him. Philippians puts it just perfect in Philippians 2 chapter 10 verses 11. We know that this is going to happen at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We bow willingly. Those who are opponents of jesus will be forced to bow and acknowledge he is lord he is lord and i want you to think about something no matter where you are on your scale of life you don't know when this thing's ending we don't you don't know how short or how long your life is going to be i believe that the return of jesus christ can very 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 well happen in our lifetime I think it's imminent because of the way the world conditions are. We've been through this many times. So time is short. Life is passing. Do you think that it's time to allow God to have free reign in your life? Do you think that this might be the time? This is it, folks. We're coming to, we're we're landing. We're landing. The world is a rebellion against a true God and will one day recognize who he really is. He is God. Remember when the Jewish people wanted to see God, and they rushed into his presence in Exodus 19, and it was just terrifying to be in the presence of a holy God. We are to revere him, to honor him. As our nation runs from God, and I believe this is happening right before our eyes, is embracing the gods of this world, The nation has changed. You have seen change. If you're older than 10, you have seen your nation change drastically. The nation changes. Good, evil, evil, good. Now, in Israel, three gods invaded Israel. Three idols. Now, behind these idols are demonic entities, are false gods. The first one was Baal, then Astra, then Molech. And they embraced these. For these gods to invade, the people had to turn their backs on the true God. And that's what they did. In Israel, they feigned worship to God. And then they worshipped the Canaanite gods of the cultures around them. And God says, no, I will not put up with that. And the Assyrians came in 722 BC and took the 10 northern tribes into captivity. And the wrath of God was poured out on the 10 northern tribes. In 586 BC, Judah and Benjamin followed. And Nebuchadnezzar came. And he took them into captivity because they didn't learn from their sister, the 10 northern tribes, the lesson. And so they were put into captivity. The true God, folks, will not share space with the false gods. And it's interesting. Whenever the true God comes into a culture, the false gods have a recess. They get put off to the side. But America was built on Judeo-Christian ethics, has from the beginning worshipped the true God. And now we have changed to open the portal to the false gods coming in. America has turned its back on the true God. And the door is open to the false gods. Now Jonathan Kahn in his book, Return of the Gods, has said the following. The zeitgeist spirits, the spirits of the age, are here today. You are not seeing the, the degree of evil that is being perpetrated in our country that's called good without these gods coming in and taking over the culture. That is what is happening. Now, the first one that comes in is Baal. Baal has come to America. And with him, Asherah and Molech will follow. Baal leads the charge. Prosperity, money, stuff. Now listen to this. Nothing wrong with prosperity or money. Those who, who worship God are usually prosper and that sort of thing. But the focus becomes more and more and more. I want more stuff, more stuff, build more barns, more stuff. And you have a feeling of never being satisfied. That's baal. That's Baal. Astra follows with their focus on sex, drugs, new age and the occult. The worship of Mother Earth, Astra is the female picture. Mother Earth. Gia, Gaia, Gia, whatever you pronounce it, is being worshipped today. People will sacrifice their lives for Gia, but not worship the true God. Astra. now listen to this, is also known as the transformer, reversing male and female roles. You don't have this with the true God. We never had this acceptable in our culture until the false gods came Flowing into the culture. Gender confusion. Is her calling card. Transgenderism. Homosexual marriage perversion. Is the outcome. Pervert what God calls sacred. Now the last one. And the worst one. Is Moloch. Known as the destroyer. The child sacrifice. The deepest and darkest depths. Of the fall from God. Now they're going to see a picture up here. But I want to paint. A picture for you. Abortion came into America in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. Everybody's aware of that. Now at the time abortion came in, there wasn't everyone uh, there was there was still a spirit within America that this is disgusting, this is awful. Even the proponents of it were looking at the baby as not being human, not being a real baby. In 1973, they didn't have the technology. They looked at this as they were progressing into a baby but were aborting before the person became a child. Now we know with science that immediately that is a life and the development happens very rapidly, and that is a baby, a human being growing in the mom. Okay, now we know that. So now we have a situation where people are worshiping the ability to choose, to choose their life over the baby's life. The woman's, when you hear woman's reproductive rights, and I think the woman should have all the reproductive rights she wants. She wants to have 25 kids. She can have 25 kids. No kids, no kids. Health care, woman's health care. That's great, wonderful, terrific. But when you kill the babies, that's where it has to end. Now, notice the celebration here. Notice this. We can't see this very well. These guys are playing horns and celebrating. What have you seen today that you have not seen Globally, at least in America, what ha- what have, what are you seeing today that you have not seen? The celebration of abortion, celebrating the woman's reproductive rights, saying and in even people saying using the scripture to say that it's okay and that God condones it because you got to save these poor ladies' lives. Now I, you got to sympathize with people that are that are in bad situations having children, but folks. The, the baby has a right to live. And in God's eyes, that is a life that is murdered. Jay Warner Wallace says we should change the vernacular from woman's reproductive rights to homicide. This is homicide. This is the killing of a baby. Now, I want to also qualify. The baby is a victim, but I want to suggest to you that many, many women have been victims. They've been talked into this they've been encouraged to do this and now it's celebrated so now it happened will happen more frequently but there's been many victims of women who live with the guilt of this for their lives their lives some have seared consciences but many 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 lives are destroyed and i want to assure you that god is a god of love he loves you if you have had an abortion you can repent you can confess your sins You can turn to God, it's like, and it will be forgiven to you. You can move forward and be free of that guilt and free of that burden. You can move on. So we have the gods of this world. You know that Molech in America, 63 million people of babies have been sacrificed. But worldwide, it's over 1 billion. 1 billion sacrificed on that idol. But take solace, folks. There is hope in the middle of this hopeless country you have studied prophecy you know that in this world it's going towards a one world religion a one world government a one world economy that is one of the reasons we know we are in the epoch of time that is the end the jewish jewish nation jews becoming a nation on may 14th 1948 and this push for globalism we know that we are the generation We're the only generation that has ever existed that could totally kill itself. Jesus said, Lest these days be cut short, no flesh should be saved alive. We qualify. All preceding generations, they may have been looking for Jesus, but we could not kill ourselves until our time with nuclear weapons, with biological weapons, with chemical weapons. We qualify. I don't know how long it's going to be, but at least we qualify. So, in this mess of world religions coming to America, you've seen this word before, and it's syncretism, but blending differing religious beliefs, philosophies, or practices into something new. And the next sign is going to be coexist. These are different world religions that coexist. Now look at remember the words of Jesus. That's all you have to do, is keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry about all this stuff. Jesus said, and John 14, 6, I'm the way, you know it, the truth, the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. That's it. And the world hates us because of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Though so Jesus loves every one of them and wants them to come into the family, desire that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, the world hates that he is the only way. I'll choose my own way. You can't tell me what to do, God. So our rescue is in our God, Jesus Christ. The King is coming, folks. The King is coming. Our job is to stand, while we're here, is to stand immovable, not moved by the tsunami culture of change. To speak the truth. To see, judge, and act. Remember Rod Deere's book, Live Not By Lies. To see, judge, and act. Tell people the truth about Jesus. The tempest rose on the sea. And the tempest is rising in our world. The disciples were fearful. And folks, many today are fearful. We are living in fearful times. We are. Climate change. I mean, you get this every day. Our brains get this every single day. Climate change. The world is ending Nuclear holocaust, I mean, Russia is going to start dropping these bombs. And before you know it, somebody else is going to drop a bomb and and we're all going to be dead. No, it's not going to end that way. Jesus is coming back and there'll be a world here. Now, there might be a bomb go off here or there, but it's not going to end earth. It's not going to end earth. Fear is gripping people on planet earth. Those in the boat with Jesus need not fear, must not fear, Our God is our safety net. We are safe in the boat with Him. Now, make sure that you're in the boat, that you're saved. We're living in exciting times, though. These are exciting. The prophets look forward to this time when Messiah would come. Messiah would come. Listen, today, some live with what's called rapture anxiety. Can you believe it? Now, what do we think? Rapture hope. Rapture, excitement. Rapture, I cannot wait. That's what we live with. It's quite a difference. Quite a difference. We are privileged to be in the generation that could see Jesus come back. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Remember, he's the alpha in the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the bright and morning star. He is our redeemer. He is our savior. Allow Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. Just penetrate your mind. This is a Christmas verse, but folks, this is a verse for the church. This is a fir- church for, a, a verse for God's people. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the ruling government, the king is coming shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And let this one settle in you while you're disturbed here, the Prince of Peace of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The king is coming on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with the justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever, evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies will do this. Folks, the king is coming. It may look fearful the king is going to establish his kingdom. Now, just one breath. okay? One breath. I want you to listen. Listen to the signs of the times. Listen closely. And as Arnold Fruchtenbaum says, you can almost hear the footsteps of Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. The King is coming. May Maranatha, folks, be our battle cry. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. He is coming. And while we wait, all eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He started our faith. He finishes our faith. He will get us home safely. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that the Lord Jesus came to die for our sins. If we give our lives to him, get in that rescue boat, so to speak, we will be safe. We will get home safely. This world can do what it wants to us, but it's only for a short time. And then we'll be home with our God. Thank you for the hope that we have, and may we, while we're going through this journey, fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. I am your God. In Jesus' name, amen.